Well, please join me now in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians 4, we're going to take on this topic today, that we are fools for Christ. You know, one of the marks of maturity is when you begin to care less about your popularity and your public image. Normally, when we're younger, that's a big deal to us. We can become preoccupied with what everybody else is thinking about us and a real longing to be included in what we consider to be the in crowd. But over time, we realize that's not really a worthy goal in life. And that maybe has led us into some problems when we chase that as a goal. But with spiritual maturity, we begin to care less what other people think about us. And we begin to care most about what our Father in heaven thinks about us. With spiritual maturity, we begin to operate differently. We operate with the full satisfaction of knowing that God loves us. We can even move out into the world giving that love to other people who may not be giving that love back to us. So we're in another text now that's going to call us to maturity. This is what Paul's doing with the Corinthians. He sees them in their immaturity. He's calling them today to humility. He's going to call them to reality. And he's going to call them to follow the Lord in complete faithfulness, no matter the cost. And we're going to take that to heart ourselves today. Now, bonus, there's going to be some sarcasm in the text. You think, I didn't know there was sarcasm in the Bible, although it'll be here. Oftentimes when we use it, we use it in sinful ways. But here we're going to see the Holy Spirit cause Paul to write to these Corinthians with some, with some good use of sarcasm. We're going to get to that in verse 8 and following, but let's begin in verse 6. Paul writes as the Spirit guides him, I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If you then received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Already you have all you want. Already you've become rich. Without us, you've become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death because we've become a spectacle to the world to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you're wise in Christ. We're weak, but you're strong. You were held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We're poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. Interesting passage, isn't it? A lot of strong words here in the text. And Paul here is calling these Corinthians once again to spiritual maturity. And the first thing he does here on that count is to call them to humility. Here's a call to humility. Paul says here, I have applied these things for you. What things is he talking about here? What are the what things there? Well, if you remember what we saw last time, when Paul talked about, here's an example of humility, that Apollos and I, we're servants of Christ. We're stewards of the mysteries of God. Paul just models, this is what it looks like to understand who you are in relationship to God. So here he tells us that we're an example for you. 
Also, he mentions here in verse 11 that we were even able and willing to labor working with our own hands. So we can say it this way. Paul was willing, even as an apostle, to do manual labor, even as he carried the gospel. We can say he even had a blue collar job alongside of him doing ministry for the Lord. For Paul, there was nothing that was beneath him if it would help him get the gospel to people. So in those days, a person as a traveling teacher could expect to be paid by the people that he was teaching. That was a common practice. But Paul, as we're going to see when we get to chapter 9 a few months from now, he's going to talk about, I had the right to do that, especially among God's people, but I didn't take up that right. I wanted to give you the gospel free of charge. And so what did Paul do? He had a side job. He was a tent maker, worked with leather so that he could meet his own needs so that he could give the gospel to them. So Paul's just being a model here of humility, and he's calling the Corinthians to much-needed humility. Let me ask you this. Has the Lord ever humbled you? Has the Lord ever brought a lesson into your life where you feel like, well, that, that was useful to me because that brought me some needed humility? I can think of one. I can think of many, but I can think of one that I'll share with you. It was when God, early in ministry, still while in seminary, where God gave me a, a year-long, at least, lesson in humility. So Joy had had our first child. She was staying home after being a school teacher and I was working. I thought I can do anything for a year. And so I was going to school full time and then cobbled together some jobs to work full time to get us through that final year. And what I wanted to happen was that God would give me a full time ministry role that I could do while going to seminary that last year. That was my dream. A few guys on campus there at the seminary had that type of situation. That's not how God worked in my life. So here's what I did. This is the job God gave me. I got to be a janitor in two different car dealerships and then in a medical supply warehouse. And through that, I did some part-time ministry, but, uh, but that's how we made it that final year of seminary. And I can tell you from being a janitor, when you're a janitor, people treat you like a janitor. There's no social privileges when you serve as a janitor. It's a very noble job. We all appreciate somebody doing that job. But I, I gotta be honest, I didn't enjoy that work. And so there'd be my times there in those car dealerships, pushing my janitor's cart around and, and it would play with my head a little bit. I thought, you know, here I am, these people, they, they treat me like I'm a janitor, but I mean, I've already been to college. I got a college degree pushing my cart. I'm really close to having this master's degree, but nobody cares about that. And really they shouldn't care about that. I'm there doing a job there. And so it was good for me. I remember thinking, yeah, this is, this is good though. I, I mean, I didn't choose this, but I know this has got to be good. It's humbling me. And, uh, and I, th I think I had the occasion then that if I could imagine out in the future, I probably thought, you know, that's going to make a good sermon illustration one day. So here it is. Here it is. All these years later came in handy. Now, I do remember where I was, though, in one of the showrooms of these places with my janitor's cart. You know, I've been cleaning toilets and windows and all kinds of things. Now I'm in the showroom and I remember where I was when I felt like God impressed upon me. You know, when you're no longer doing this job, you're not going to be better than those who are still doing this job. You know, people who do that for a living, you're not going to be better than them when you no longer do it. So it was really good for me to realize, yeah, in my worth and nobody's worth is based on their job. And, and so that was, that was good for me. And so I learned a lot of things from that, a lot of humility. I learned a couple other things. Uh, now, when I meet a janitor doing their job, I, I always seek to compliment them because nobody thanks a janitor. They tell you when you miss something. In fact, I literally heard these phrases times I missed something. So, hey, Jim, did you clean off the gumball machines? I remember that. Or this one, this was real embarrassing. Hey, Jim, did you get the cobweb over the break room door? 
I thought, I, I didn't see a cobweb. So they said, oh, come here. They show me. And sure enough, there's massive, dirty cobweb over the store. I'd never seen it day after day. I was looking down, doing all this work. I never saw it. But people rightly will tell you when you miss something, but very rarely. So I, when I see a janitor working, maybe in a restroom, I'll say, man, this place smells great. Or, it's gleaming in here. Thanks for what you're doing. This is rare. Here's a, this is bonus material. So uh, the other thing I do now for my, my year or so as a janitor, I never touch the glass doors with my fingers. You know, I use that bar. It's there for a reason. And so my children, when they were coming along, having been a janitor, I would say when people would push open the door with their hands, I'd say, don't do that. They probably have a, they probably have some kind of condition because I'm like, don't, don't touch it. <laughs> Somebody has to clean that. Now that you did that, somebody's got to clean it again, you know? So anyway, the whole idea is uh, these things can humble us. And let me ask you this. Is there any job that you would consider beneath you? Is there a task that you think, well, that task is too low for me? How about even in your service to the Lord? Well, I only want to serve the Lord in prominent ways. I only want to serve in a prominent ministry, a prominent church. I want to serve in a way that I'm noticed here. But, but we look at Paul's example. Paul, we say he's a great apostle in our mind. But what, what did he tell us last time, earlier in this chapter? We're, we're servants of Christ. That's who we are. We're stewards of the mysteries of God. We look at Paul's life. We see him totally devoted to the gospel. With little, I would say, even no regard for his reputation. Because he's going to tell us, look, I know how the world sees me as an apostle. I'm a fool in their eyes, but I'm a fool for Christ's sake. And so he's calling them to humility, reminding them of what he's taught them about Apollos and him being servants. But now he calls them to humility and he appeals to scripture. Did you notice? He says that you would not go beyond what is written. And he's appealing to the Old Testament scriptures that they would have had available to them. And you do know that all of the Bible teaches us humility. It's in the New Covenant. Paul here referencing the Old Covenant. Let me just give you three quick examples. There would be dozens in the Old Covenant and, the, and throughout the Bible of a call to humility. But let's, how about this one? Famously, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Listen to this. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your path. That's humility, isn't it? I don't trust me. I don't trust my intellect. I'm trusting in God. I've shifted all that there. That, that's humility. Micah 6, 8. He has told you, old man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness. Here it is. And to walk humbly with your God. Or Proverbs 16, 18 and following. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. It is better to be of a lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. Or we could hang out in the old covenant and we'd see example after example of humble prophets faithfully serving to God, serving God no matter what the cost. But here back to our text, he tells them, hey, Corinthians, you shouldn't be acting puffed up. Back to verse six. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written. Now this, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. I love that way of describing pride. Don't be puffed up. You know, we can be that way. When we feel proud, we start acting a bit arrogant or we see it in somebody else. It's almost like they're puffing themselves up, kind of walking around like a peacock. You think, no, you should not be puffed up. Here he tells them that they're being puffed up. He's going to use that phrase again in chapter 8. In chapter 8, verse 1, when we get to it in a few months, we're going to read this. Knowledge puffs up, 
but love builds up. So why were these Corinthians so full of pride? Really had no reason to. But as we've seen in these texts leading up to this, they thought they were wise. They were operating by worldly wisdom. They thought they were wise. Paul's pointing out, no, you're actually quite foolish. You need to become foolish in the eyes of the world that you might be wise. They're dividing themselves up in the names of these leaders, and Paul calls it out. In fact, did you notice here? He says, don't be puffed up in favor of one against another. Here's a reminder that there's a connection oftentimes between division and pride. Imagine somebody in our church, and by the way, I don't know anybody in our church with this attitude. But imagine how disruptive it would be for one of us to walk around thinking, you know, I'm better than you. I'm wiser than you. You need me, but I don't need you. Somebody operating like that with that type of arrogance is not one who brings the body of Christ together. That's a divisive person. Paul says, don't be puffed up for one against another here. So we're called to humility. Would you take this call to heart yourself? Let's today humble ourselves before the Lord. Before he has to humble ourselves, humble us for him. Let's humble ourselves. In fact, I love this. It's in the New Covenant as well, as we mentioned. James 4, verses 6 through 10. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Here it is again. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Here he's calling them to maturity and he calls them by way of that to humility and continuing that thought. Now he calls them to reality. Back in chapter three, he warned these Corinthians. He says, don't deceive yourselves. Because these Corinthians had indeed deceived themselves. They had misjudged themselves. They were so proud when they should have been ashamed of so many things. They, they thought too highly of themselves. And I love the question Paul asked them in verse 7 to also give them a perspective in reality. Verse 7, what do you have that you did not receive? That's a good question for all of us to ask. What do I have that I did not receive? I remember thinking thoughts like this when we lived overseas years ago. We lived in some third world places and, and life was, was very difficult in many respects. And I, I longed oftentimes for America and so many things that were legitimately better here than where we were living. I'm thinking about things like this, clean water. You realize what a big idea it is to go to your sink and turn it on and be able to drink what comes out? That doesn't happen in many parts of the world. And I remember to, to think longingly of that back here. Electricity that works almost always to turn on that switch and it's just always going to work or good roads or great medical care. And if you're not careful as an American living in some places like that, you can begin to feel a bit proud like well, America, where I'm from, everything works like that. And I, I had a little bit of that creeping into my thinking, but then God humbled me there because I remember thinking, I don't know how anything works here. I, I contributed nothing to our electrical grid. How, how could I be proud about that? You know, what do I have that I didn't receive? So I don't get any credit for our electricity working. How about our clean water? I don't know how that works. I turn on the spigot, there it comes. I haven't contributed to our medical system other than paying some money into it. So I don't know anything that I could brag about. What do I have that I haven't received? Well, Paul's point here is spiritual. And think about it in your own life. What do you have spiritually that you did not receive? We have zero reason to brag or be arrogant as believers in Christ. I love what Jonathan Edwards said years ago. He said, you contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. Isn't that true? But who saved you? It's Jesus. It's all of him. 
So what did I bring to the relationship? I brought my sinful self in need of somebody to cleanse me of all this massive amount of sins to make me whiter than the snow. I needed that to happen. So you think about it. You came and you put your faith in Jesus, but you realize what God did all that. He, he's the one that opened my eyes to my need for him. I can't take credit for that. It's not like I, I take credit for it. I, I saw the light on my own. God did all that. Drew me to himself. It's amazing what he's done. We say, well, what about my service to him? Don't I get some credit? Can I brag a little bit about my service to him? No. So your desire to serve him, to come off the sidelines into service, where did that desire come from? That was the Holy Spirit convicting you to do that and drawing you into his service. He gets credit for that. And this body that you got to serve him with, where did that come from? What do you, what do you have that you didn't receive? And those spiritual gifts and skills and experiences that you can bring to bear in the work of God, that's all stuff he gave you. And what about fruit? Somebody makes a decision or somebody's growing in their faith. Oh, that's all the work of the Holy Spirit. And so what do we have that we didn't receive? So you and I are called to humility. We're called to reality. You and I can't be prideful. We can't be divisive like these Corinthians were. Instead, we're to be humble. We're to be grateful. We're to love other people. We're to be reconciled with others. And then Paul continues this talk, and he now brings the stinging rebuke, the sarcasm that I referenced a moment ago. I want you to see it now in the text. Now back into verse 8. Let's reread some of these verses. Already you have all you want. Already you've become rich. Without us, you've become kings and would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. For we are fools for Christ's sake. Here's the sarcasm. But you're wise in Christ. We're weak, but you're strong. You're held in honor, but we in disrepute. Paul uses strong sarcasm. The Holy Spirit's guiding him to do so here to confront their lofty, erroneous view of themselves and contrast it with the apostles' humility. Paul points out that they have severely misjudged themselves. Paul says, you consider yourselves rich. You think you're kings. You think you're already wise. You think you're strong. You think you're held in honor. Their problem was the word already. Back in verse eight, two times Paul uses it as he calls them out. They think they're already wise. And he's saying, Corinthians, you're not wise yet. You need to adopt God's wisdom that you might be truly wise. You're not wise yet. They were thinking of themselves as kings. He says, you're not, you're not yet a king. It is a mysterious great truth that, that it's sometime in the future after Jesus comes, in some sense, we're going to reign with Christ. Isn't that wonderful? Don't even know what that looks like. But somehow we're going to reign with him. But not yet. But the Corinthians were already thinking they were somehow already that. They had become spiritually complacent, thinking that we're already enough. Paul says, you already think you have everything that you need and want. They thought they'd arrived, but they had mistaken themselves. In fact, this is not the only church in the Bible that had this problem. Remember in the book of Revelation, Jesus confronts one of his churches there in Laodicea, that church that was famous for being lukewarm. Listen to what Jesus said to that church. Same idea. Jesus says, for you say, I am rich. I have prospered and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy for me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself. You and I cannot misjudge ourselves. We need a dose of reality to remind ourselves, oh, I need more and more and more of Jesus. So a call to humility, a call to reality, and now a call to follow the example of Paul and others to follow Jesus no matter the cost. A call to follow Jesus no matter the cost. And Paul now appeals again to what he and Apollos and the other, the other apostles were dealing with. 
Paul had the idea that, no, I'm not already completed. I'm not already fully matured. I'm not already perfected. I'm not already in heaven, of course. I'm not already at rest. Unlike those who consider themselves kings somehow in Corinth, Paul had just said, no, we're servants of Christ. We're stewards of the mysteries of God. And unlike the Corinthians who are putting themselves first, Paul said of of himself and the other apostles, verse 9, we're last of all. We're sentenced to death. Listen, quite literally, we think about the apostles, all of them except for John, were martyred in their service to Christ. How about this line? Spectacles to the world, to angels, and to men. In other words, Paul says, listen, we understand how we're viewed in the world. We're looked at as strange. We're spectacles. We're like freaks in the world. We're looked at as odd. We're mocked. We're gawked at as we serve the Lord. And he embraces it here. Verse 10, we're fools for Christ's sake. And we're considered weak. We're held in disrepute. But see, Paul, even with that type of scorn coming inbound to him, continued in faithfulness, continued in joy in his service to the Lord. See, the Corinthian problems really was this problem between already and not yet. They thought some things were already true of them when in reality, those were not yet true of them. You and I can get in trouble the same way. You know, in our early lives as children and teenagers, and and it's still true of us, even at this age, whatever age you are, we're always wishing ahead for something. And it's okay to wish ahead and look forward to some things, but we can't act like it's already happened. Let me give some examples. I remember as a little boy, I always was looking forward to Christmas. And your parents would have to tell you, like, how much longer to Christmas? They said, it's not here yet. Then the tree would go up and the presents around there, is it Christmas? Not yet. And you can't go ahead. You can't act like it's already Christmas. You're going to get in trouble if you start cracking open the presents too early. Well, then you think about get a little bit older and then you start longing for getting your driver's license. Anybody long for that like I did? Oh, I had older siblings and they would drive and have their independence. Just couldn't wait. But not yet 16. Couldn't do it. By the way, you get in trouble if you drive before you have the license. You got to know it. What's already and what's not yet. Sometimes when you're in high school, you wish you were already in college. You get in college, what? I already want to be out of college and working. And when you start working, what do you want? I want to be retired. (laughs) Am I retired? And listen, you get in big trouble if you don't know that you're not already retired if you're supposed to be working. That's when poverty comes on you. I thought I could quit now. You you can't quit. You've got to gun it until the end here. And so here they were spiritually, the Corinthians, we're, we're set. We already have everything we need. There's nothing more to want. We're already superior to even Paul. Look at him. We're better than him. So let's not be confused over what's not yet, what's already. By the way, what's already is wonderful. We're not already reigning with Christ. One day, again, as we said, that's going to be some glorious reality that we'll get to experience. And we'll know better then what that means. But already, that's not yet our experience. But already, isn't it wonderful to be precious in the sight of God? Isn't it wonderful to be an adopted child of God? That's already true of us. To already know that Jesus has provided, prepared a home for us in heaven. We're not enjoying it yet, but we know that's already true. But we're not already reigning. Right now, we're serving him. I love this. Paul had this right understanding of himself. If we were to interview Paul this morning, if I could bring him up on the stage and say, Hey, Paul, man, we, we think you've already arrived. You know, we think you already have it completely together. He would tell you, oh, I don't. But we said, we've read, we've read Romans. We've read 1 Corinthians. We've read Philippians. But he'd be the first to tell you, no, I'm still, I'm still seeing where, areas where I need to grow and serve the Lord more. In fact, we hear this heart of his in, in his letter to the Philippian church. Philippians 3.12, listen to this, Paul. He says, not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on 
toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He understood, here's, here's what it's like right now. Now it's service to Christ. It's enjoying his presence in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is glorious now. Even better things are to come, but I, I understand reality here. Back to our text here, Paul then talks to these Corinthians with their lofty view of themselves. He reminds them, the apostles, the rigors they experienced and the ridicule they experienced for the calling that God gave them. Back to verse 13, or back 11 through 13. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We're poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We've become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. Consider these words here. This is how Paul described how he was being viewed and treated in the world. He mentions here hunger and thirst. Can you imagine that? In the service of the Lord, experiencing days of hunger and thirst. Paul says, here's how we're dressed. We're poorly dressed, buffeted or beaten. And Paul recounts in other places in the scriptures how many times he was beaten because of his service to Christ. How about this word, homeless? You think about Paul's ministry. Where did he go home to? He was always on the move, staying in temporary places as he did his church planting ministry. Sometimes his home was a jail cell for Christ. He labored. He was reviled, certainly persecuted, slandered, sometimes even by people in the churches. Viewed, these are strong words, viewed like the scum of the world, treated like the refuse of all things. But notice here, Paul's not complaining about that. Just knows that's how it is. That's what we're dealing with. This is, this is what we experience right now. Better is coming. Glory is coming. But, but right now, this is what we experience. And notice he doesn't even retaliate. We're just looking at the maturity God had given him up to this point. I love this. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure it. And when slandered, we entreat. That's wonderful. We see that in the life of Paul. But who does that sound like? That sounds like Christ. Who do we know who suffered so much and didn't retaliate and gave himself? Oh, Paul's just imitating Christ. Paul tells the Corinthians, you need to imitate me and Apollos. We're servants, stewards, as we imitate Christ who did this very thing for us. Think about Jesus. In fact, we read about Jesus in Philippians 2 where we read about him being God, very God, who humbled himself. He emptied himself, laid aside his glories temporarily to take on humanity, born in the first century Roman Empire, born in a manger and lived that humble life, complete obedience to the Father, died for us, persecuted, crucified, and was raised from the dead. Jesus modeled, I'm doing this for you. Didn't Jesus say, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Paul's just following the example that our Savior gave. And you and I want to follow that example as well. We're already loved, already made righteous in the sight of God, already a home in heaven. But until we get to enjoy all that in its fullness, let's stay humble. Full of confidence in the glories that await us. But let's embrace with faithfulness what God has called us to. Let's offer ourselves fully to our Savior. No task being too menial for us. No boundary set on our service to Him. No matter the cost. Let's be humble. Let's think clearly. Let's give ourselves faithfully. Again, no matter the cost. I thought about another example this week. From the life of Dr. Rebecca Naylor. Recently, Baptist Press did a story on her on the occasion of her, her retiring from the IMB after 50 years of service as a medical missionary, a surgeon. 
And I, I got to know Rebecca Naylor. I visited with her on a couple of occasions when we served in the same part of the world together. And uh, a lot to admire about this humble woman of God, a surgeon. And one of the things that I think about whenever I meet or think of a medical missionary, I think about the life they could have had for themselves in America 50 years as a surgeon here versus that serving overseas for the gospel. You can imagine a, a doctor here serving, a surgeon here, could make a lot of money and make themselves quite comfortable here. And by the way, I don't begrudge doctors that. I think they earn it. That's, that's such a high stakes job and so much pressure and all that education. So I, I don't have any problem with doctors making that. But, but don't you admire when somebody knows that's the life I could have had, but God's called me to the nations to take the gospel to people who have no access. I'm going there. And, and Dr. Naylor served in India for most of her career. And because of her work and loving people, but also being a part of church planting efforts, Hundreds of churches planted over the years. Thousands of people have come to faith in Christ. What a beautiful example also of knowing, hey, I know what I am already. Already I'm serving Jesus. I'm, I'm serving him and all about the mission he's given me. I know there's glory to come, but I'm not going to act like that's already mine. I'm going to continue serving the Lord. So believer, understand heaven's coming. But right now, let's joyfully, humbly serve him here. In fact, let me ask you a question. Believer, well, are you a believer? Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Some of you maybe have been hearing about Christ, maybe a friend invited you or you just saw the church and you pulled in, you wanted to come. I'm so glad you're here that today you would become a believer. And can I mention the, the way you become a believer, a child of God is that step of humility. To, to come to Christ begins with humility. When you recognize, you know, I need Jesus. I, I'm not worthy of a relationship with a holy God unless Jesus forgives me. I have no way of thinking I would ever go to heaven, God's home, unless somebody saves me, somebody forgives me. So your first move of becoming a Christian is humility. And would you embrace that today, right where you're sitting? Lord, I, I see it. I see my sin. I, and I know you see all of it, but I see at least enough to know I could never save myself. I could never earn my way into your presence. Certainly can never earn my way into heaven. So I'm, I'm coming humbly. And then you would pray something like this, Lord Jesus, I see my sin. Would you forgive me this sin? I see that you died on a cross to atone for, to pay for my sin. I know you were raised from the dead and I want to put all of my faith, all my confidence in what you did and no longer trusting in anything I've done. Do you hear the humility there? 100% transfer of your faith in Jesus, no longer trusting in yourself. Oh, I pray you'll do that. And then all of us who have believed, would we humble ourselves, bow before the Lord, and serve him like never before? Pray with me. God, thank you for the clarity of your word. We're grateful for your great love for us. We're grateful for this great salvation that you've offered, for your spirit being in us, this amazing Bible that you've given us. Lord, we want to respond to it. Lord, make us a humble people, absolutely bowing before you, absolutely submitted to you, joyfully so. And Lord, we want to serve you like we see the pattern here in Scripture. God, we remove any, any controls on ourselves. We bow and submit ourselves to you. Lord, you, you have your way in us. Whatever you want us to do, wherever you want us to do it, whenever, we, we yield to you. Thank you, Lord, for your love for us. Thank you for this gift of eternal life that you've offered. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.